Hey everybody, welcome in. It's Wednesday night. I'm Corey Miller here with Frank Cusimano, 500 Side Sports Director. Or if you're listening to this later in the week on the Sports Plus podcast, it's going to be there too for our Sports Plus Live. Uh, got a lot to talk about tonight. It seems like we might finally be coming to some sort of resolution when it comes to a baseball season. I don't know if we're going to be happy about it or if anybody's going to be happy about it, but it feels like we're moving there. Uh, Tony Clark, the union chief, and Rob Manfred, the commissioner, met yesterday, I believe they said it was, and they might have a framework together. Frank, are you? what are you thinking right now? I don't even know what to think anymore. Well, I've always thought they were going to play baseball, and you know the people who don't want it, just imagine um, an August Tuesday night you know, watching reruns on NBC or watching Jack Flaherty pitch against the Chicago Cubs. No shot, of course, against five on your side programming, which is normally outstanding. But look, Corey, <laughs> it's either watching Paul Goldschmidt or Paul DeYoung or Colton Wong or not watching them. And granted, it could only be 60 to 65 games, but I'll take it. And oh, by the way, we may have the best chance to win a championship in the Central Division because we're loaded with freaking starting pitching. So the latest talk is that it's going to uh, their MLB offered around a 60 game uh, scheduler. So with a full prorated salary, which is what the players want, but I think the players are still going to come back wanting more games. I don't think we're done back and forthing here a little bit. Corey, I was told this afternoon by somebody um, heavily involved in these negotiations that the earliest anything could be decided would be tomorrow, and he said I wouldn't bet on that either. So. But the, the key is what you said earlier, uh, 100% prorated per game salary. That's, that's the whole thing. Um, you, you'd like to have as many games as possible if you're a player, but I don't think you're going to cancel the season if you're bickering over 60 to 65 games. I think you're going to play as long as you get to that 100% you know, prorated per game. And, I mean, I wrote a little bit about this. If – Something can't get done. I mean, this is if Rob Manford wants a legacy, his legacy is going to be failure if they can't get this done. And honestly, Tony Clark, too, because the players really haven't engaged the owners for the past couple years or so. Uh, I, I think this is a huge moment for baseball because they've taken so much heat. All the other leagues have at least somewhat of their act together. If they can't come through here, I think this is going to be a big, big stain, probably even bigger than it was in 1994. I think so, because you'd be going, if you didn't have a season this year, 17 months without Major League Baseball in the United States of America. And you're right. Um, you're not going to be able to recover from this. You're, you're not going to have the, the steroid boost from McGuire and Sosa and 70 home runs either, you know, to help bring you back. So, yeah, this is this would be catastrophic. But I don't think it's going to get to that point. I think the next 48 hours we're going to find out that there's baseball. If you're tuning in live on Facebook or, or Twitter and you have something uh, you want us to talk about, a comment, if you just want to vent about not having any baseball to watch, drop that in there too. I'll give you a shout out. Ava on uh, Facebook asking about the minors, any chance? I think the owners have pretty much already uh, set that ship to sail. Uh, I do think we could see some interesting things with major league rosters and a lot more minor league players that wouldn't have got a shot this year. And I'm very interested in that, especially from a Cardinals perspective, where they could bring in a few guys who might be kind of interesting, especially a Dylan Carlson, uh, to help you right away. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if he'll be on like the 30-man roster. If it is a 30-man roster, he's going to be either on that one or the taxi squad. We're going to see him at Bush Stadium. Corey, I talked to a guy in Springfield today, and there's a real possibility that that taxi squad could actually work out while the team is traveling, you know, full-time in Springfield to keep them sharp. But, yeah, Carlson, you know, you could bring him in, even if he's not a major league hitter yet, he's really close, you could bring him in to – defend you could get him into run he could do a lot of things so it depends how big the rosters are but he's going to be around bush stadium i think so let's get into this a little bit we've talked about it before but uh, i've seen some more tweets in this new agreement or proposal that the mlb has sent dh this year universal dh next year universal and then there's uh, another they're gonna have to collectively bargain another contract which DH almost for sure Universal is going to be in there. So we probably have seen the last pitcher bat possibly. I think it was Miles Michaelis, I think actually had the last pitcher at bat um, of a regular season. I'm pretty sure. Just what are your thoughts on the Universal DH? And uh, I mean, personally, I'm a National League guy, so it's going to kind of hurt. I understand why it has to happen, but what are your thoughts on all that? Well, you know, I've seen Miles Michaelis bat. And I think watching Tyler O'Neill bat is a little bit more interesting. You know, I was kind of a traditionalist there for a while, but I, I have no problem with it. And I think how it applies to the Cardinals this season, Corey, is that Matt Carpenter, who's not a great fielder, will probably become the DH because you'll play Tommy Edmond at third. It'll be interesting to see how that works because you don't really have a plethora of outfielders that really hit. So I think, you know, this this may work out well for the Cardinals and make sure that you know, that Carpenter will will be a DH and Edmund could play third. I, that's, I think that's the way I'm leaning right now. Who knows what could happen, though? I think it is definitely great for the Cardinals, and we talked about this on our previous podcast. Uh, I think they might be wishing they still had Jose Martinez to DH. But from, man, I, one of the things I love most about baseball is all the weird stuff, and pitchers hitting is one of the weirdest things. And it, it does pain me that we're going to miss that. Obviously, the product's going to be better with an actual uh, a major league caliber hitter in there every time through the lineup. But as someone who likes the quirks of baseball, I- I'm definitely going to miss it. Another thing is possibly a 16-team playoff uh, for two years also, I think I saw, which, I-, I mean, I hope that is not the standard going forward. I think baseball would like that because that means more money for them, but I think that just devalues the regular season too much. Well, it does, but I think especially this year, it's a good idea to have as much interest in baseball for as long a period of time as possible. Because normally we'd be interested in baseball in April, May, June, July. That's four months where the only thing we've talked about with baseball is Rob Manfred and, you know, pay per game for players. So if you can keep a city like, well, let's not be too outlandish, a city like Cincinnati, um, interested in baseball for another two weeks and get them into the postseason, then that's a plus. You know, it'd be interesting too, Corey, if you play 60 games, uh, I don't think, you know, the Baltimore Orioles are capable of going 40 and 20, but there may be a pretty mediocre team that can play decent baseball for 60 games and get into the postseason, where if it was 162, they'd have no chance. It's a good point. I definitely think this year, this year I'm up for anything. I'll take a 16 game. I'll take a tournament. I'll take whatever. Um, I'll take whatever this year. 
Uh, let's get, you mentioned Mark McGuire earlier. Um, I got some Mark McGuire. I have a lot of Mark McGuire stuff here. My dad collected a bunch of newspaper clippings, and I think we have the Sosa McGuire uh, Sportsman of the Year Sports <laughs> Illustrated where they're dressed like uh, Greek gods. Uh, you watched the documentary uh, Sunday night uh, on ESPN like a lot of us did. What were your uh, what were your takeaways? Did it bring back a lot of memories? It did. And, you know, I hate to sound too soft in my old age, but when you um, when you hear McGuire talk at the end, and he, he emphatically states, what I did was wrong and don't do it. And then he says, you know, I was hurt. I did it to get back. I've been a home run hitter my whole life. God put me on this earth to hit home runs. I, I almost, I felt for him. I really did. Now, he made a lot of money, $74 million, got a lot of fame, but he paid a terrible price for it. But after you kind of watch it and you see his whole life story, you know, in a two-hour time period, you think, I don't know if I would have done differently if I were Mark McGuire. I'd like to think I wouldn't, but I don't know. I think most baseball players, if you got a chance you know, to get back on the field by taking Andro and getting healthy and the possibility of hitting more home runs. I mean, I don't know if McGuire would have hit 70 with, you know, without the Andro, but that year he may have hit 50, may have hit 55. I tell you what, that, that middle third of the documentary where they go deep on 61 and 62 in the Cardinals Cubs series was fantastic. Uh, the whole, the Jack Buck stuff was my favorite part of the entire time. Anytime they used a Jack Buck bite or had him on camera, I was just locked in because it was so cool to see him reacting to stuff. That was my favorite part of the whole thing. Yeah, and um, that was good because Jack Buck had so much emotion, especially at the uh, tail end of his career. I remember being at Ozzy Smith Day in 1996, and um, Jack Buck was the MC, and he literally was crying you know, like a baby. It was so powerful to see. I thought the most powerful thing in the, in the best part of the show was, and the most illuminating part of the whole documentary story I never knew was, you know, heading into the final day when McGuire had 68 on that Saturday, he went to LaRusa and said, I can't do it. I'm exhausted. I can't do it. And LaRusa said, you'd regret it for the rest of your life. If you wake up, brother, you got to go. And he woke up and hit two that day to get to 70. It's just so LaRusa-esque. It was such a great story. We interviewed the director, and um, the director asked Tony after he did that interview, he said, have you ever told anybody that? He goes, you're the first. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah, that, uh, that part stuck with me, too. And honestly, one of my biggest takeaways, I, I came away liking Sammy Sosa more than I thought I would. Um, just seeing how personable he was and how just fun-loving he was. I mean, obviously, he doesn't have a completely uh, non-checkered past in baseball, so it like much like McGuire. But, I mean, he seemed like a heck of a lot of fun, and I really do think the Cubs should bring him back at some point because, uh, like, I think Bernie Miklas had the quote, it doesn't really do any good to place blame now. Uh, they might as well just embrace yeah. these guys in, in the ways that they're able to. I think if he just would have said he did it. You know, the evidence is a little bit more thin with him as opposed to McGuire and Bonds and failed drug test with Rafael Palmero. He never failed a drug test. I just think if he wants to be embraced, and he probably should be embraced in Chicago, 
I think he, he probably needed to come clean, and he still hasn't to this day. I was that's what I was really hoping for in the documentary. I wasn't I wasn't pretty very confident yeah. I was going to get it, but I was hoping I was hoping for a big bombshell. Yeah. Let's uh, check in here. Linda asking if the DH will extend pace of play. Um, I don't know. I mean, no, I don't think so because you have fewer pitching changes. Yeah. Well, that that would be true, but you'd have fewer pitching changes. I but you'd have more runs scored. So American League games normally are longer. Mm -hmm. So I guess on the whole, the DH would increase the length of a game a little bit. Rob Manfred's not going to like that. Uh, we got a question on Twitter for you, Frank. Where is uh, Philip Russell going to end up? The uh, guard from Vashon uh, was going to SEMO. What's the latest on uh, the recruiting scene for him? Well, you know, um, there was a stretch there for two or three weeks where all the Vashon people were telling me that SLU was going to take him. And I kept checking in and checking in, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the way they painted it. But I think Slew's roster is filled. Uh, I texted with Floyd Irons last night. I, I do not know where he's headed, but it looks like it's not going to be as a billicate. And I really liked him. He, he could really shoot the ball. But I guess you got you have so many shooters right now, and you have a, a guy about his size, just a class ahead of him in Yori Collins. I don't know. I think the roster may be filled. All right. We've got... Another great countdown going this week on uh, Five on Your Side and uh, Five O'Clock Sports segments. The best all-time performances in St. Louis sports history. Uh, we're not short on ones to choose from. My favorite, uh, I think, probably. Not the best. Well, I don't know. Probably not the overall best, but my favorite, uh, which you highlighted on Monday, was Mark Witten and his four home runs in Cincinnati. Man, that guy was so strong. And just listening to Joe Buck on some of those calls was a lot of fun, too. Yeah. And that last one was 442 off Rob Dibble. That's insane. That was just unbelievable. I think my favorite was the one that aired today on Mizzou basketball star Willie Smith in the Midwest Regional Final in 1976. you got to remember, Mizzou has never been to a Final Four, still haven't been to a Final Four. And Willie Smith almost single-handedly, you know, willed that team to the promised land. It was, he's a left-handed guard, six foot one. I remember Norm Stewart always gushing about Willie being kind of his favorite player of all time. And in that game, the Michigan guard, Steve Grody, became so frustrated. I remember watching as a kid, he slapped Willie right in the face. And it was, it was unbelievable how great Willie Smith was that night. Frank, you don't have to remind me that Mizzou's never made a Final Four. I, I am well aware of that. Been some close, you know, I guess Quinn went, went to a final eight. I think Mike Anderson went uh, maybe two times to a final eight. And Norm went a couple of they times. They lost against, yeah, uh, tough. was that UConn or, or Memphis uh, that one year when they were so close? Marcus Denman yeah. and uh, Kim English and all those guys. Uh, Nathan you know, Corey, in the comments. I don't know if anybody wants. What, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, on, the, on the one Mizzou thing is they had a team one year. You know how we always count, hey, all these North Carolina teams, these draft choices and everything? They had a team one year where Larry Drew was one starting guard, first-round pick. John Sunvold was his backcourt partner, first-round pick. Steve Stepanovich, first-round pick. Ricky Frazier, second-round pick. 
They had three ones and a two in one starting lineup and didn't get to the final four. That was an awfully good team. But go ahead. We have uh, we uh, have a couple more days of this countdown here, and one we haven't shared yet, but I don't think it's too much of a surprise. Uh, Bob Gibson in the World Series. You were at that game, right? Tell us a little bit about that. That's a cool story. Yeah, it's like the first baseball memory I've ever had. 68 World Series, Game 1, Cardinals and Tigers. It was the great matchup. Denny McClain had won 31 games that year in Detroit. He was the guy that everybody was talking about. But Bob Gibson had that 1.12 ERA, and Gibson struck out 17. I can still see Willie Horton, the last hitter, just flailing at a slider. If he had 17 strikeouts that night, I bet 12 of them were on that wicked slider, that big leg kick, him falling off the mound. That was just beautiful to see. So, guys, make sure you turn it, tune in the rest of the week. We've got uh, some more great all-time performances, some classic ones coming up. Frank, I got uh, the book of Cardinal cards here again. I think we can maybe do some random Cardinal cards here. we got some time left. Uh, right. Let me open up to a page here. I, what I landed on the all-1976 page last time. Let's see. All right. Okay, this one's this is an interesting one because you were here covering this, and I wonder what the reaction was. I got a John Smoltz Cardinals card here from 2009. His one year, his one back yeah, half of the year with the Cardinals. I, I remember the game. I, I don't remember the stat. It was it seven strikeouts in a row? Um, he six or seven strikeouts in a row. And I'm telling you, Corey, we think Wainwright is a great interview. Smoltz, it was like cheating. I mean, we, if he would have been a Cardinal my whole life, my life would have been completely easy as a broadcaster because he was <laughs> so easy to deal with, such a great talker. And it's no surprise. He's the uh, lead analyst on Major League Baseball Network games now. He was terrific. And I know he used to play golf at Bell Reeve in the morning and then come down to Bush Stadium and play a game. Even when he played for the Braves, he, Maddox, and Glavin would always play Bell Reeve. But that he had one stretch there with the Cardinals where I think he struck out six or seven hitters in a row. It was crazy. I mean, I'm looking here. He was pretty – he was not not pretty good. He was fine. He 4.26 ERA. The two things I remember about 2009, John Smoltz became a Cardinal, and Matt Holliday dropped that fly ball against the Dodgers in the postseason and then came yeah. back and St. Louis gave him a standing ovation. Those are the two things I remember about 2009. Yeah, boy, you can still picture Matt Holiday in that playoff game. Wow, that was sad. I got another one here that was on the backside of John Smoltz. One of the most infamous baseball cards of all time, actually. The Mike Laga card where he's wearing a pink jersey because somebody messed up the uh, messed up the printing press or something like that. Mike Laga, one of the most uh, obscure records in Cardinals history, if you want to call it that. The only person to hit a foul ball or hit, to hit any ball out of Old Bush Stadium. And uh, he's forever in Cardinals lore that way. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. People forget it was a foul ball, right? Yeah. 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 Wow. I, Goldschmidt hit, hit a foul ball out last year. And I think he's the only one to do it in the new Bush Stadium, I'm pretty sure. Huh. All right, one more. 
Who do we got here? Let's go. One of my favorite guys, one of the most underrated Cardinals, I think, Ryan Ludwig. People forget how good he was. He was an all-star in 2008, I believe, and he was the thump behind Pujols for a couple years there. And people kind of forget how yeah, good he, had 37 he was. He home runs under the radar. Was it 37? Yeah, what, what this was is his, from, this is from 30, 2008. 30, uh, maybe, his, I don't know which year he hit the 36 or 37, but... He was a great guy to deal with, and he was a, a pretty highly regarded prospect in the Cleveland Indians organization. And John Mozalek was the assistant GM, and I think he really helped to engineer that trade. And Ryan is still with the uh, organization, really a class act. I remember – do you have his stats right in front of you, right in front of you, Corey? Well, I had – well, let me look it up. That card was from 2008, and that was before he had – or that, uh, that was going into 2008. So that was before his uh, okay. breakout year. But I've got look at his numbers second. because I think in his breakout year, uh, and Larusa regrets this. Check this. I think he hit two ninety nine, and Larusa uh. took him out of the game before he had a chance to get to three hundred on the last day of the regular season. I think that's the way it happened. And then Larusa, you know, Larusa is normally very conscious of that and really pro player and wants them to get to their their special numbers. But was that the case? Are you looking at that Frank, number? That memory, that, uh, that memory serves you well. Hit 37 home runs, 113 RBIs, hit 299. He, has, he had 40 doubles, too. Wow. Yeah, and he, and he took him out like in the yeah. fourth inning. All he needed was one more crack to get to 300, but that's a heck of a season. He was really a loyal guy, too. I remember in spring training, Corey, we went up to um, where the Mets were training. I think it was Port St. Lucie. And no one really knew who Ryan Ludwig is. And I was desperate for an interview. And we did this 10-minute interview. And then when he became a star later that summer, he says, he always used to say to me, Frank, I remember you. You talked to me when nobody knew me. <laughs> I felt like telling him, yeah, I had to talk to someone. You were the only one around. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us this week on uh, Sports Plus Live on social media. And if you're listening on the podcast, thanks for tuning in there, too. We'll be back next week, and hopefully, I'm, I'm going to go out on a confident note, hopefully we'll have a baseball season planned to talk about. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you later.